Put God first. Put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think you see in me, everything that I've accomplished, everything that you think I have, and I have a few things, everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. 40 years ago, March 27th, 1975, it was 40 years ago, uh, just this past March, I was flunking out of college. I had a 1.7 grade point average. I was sitting in my mother's beauty shop. They still call it beauty shop now? What do they call it now? Yeah, I was sitting in the beauty parlor. I was sitting in my mother's beauty parlor and I'm looking in the mirror and I see behind me this woman under the dryer. And every time she looked up, she every time I looked up, she was looking at me, just looking me in the eye. And I didn't know who she was. And I said, you know, she said, somebody give me a pen, give me a pencil. I have a prophecy. March 27, 1975. She said, boy, you are going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I flunked out of college. I'm thinking about joining the army. I didn't know what I was going to do. And she's telling me I'm going to travel the world and speak to millions of people. Well, I have traveled the world. And I have spoke to millions of people. But that's not the most important thing, the success that I had. The most important thing is that what she taught me and what she told me that day has stayed with me since. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. I've kept God in my life and has kept me humble. I didn't always stick with him, but he always stuck with me. So stick with him in everything you do. Well, you know, uh, I'm currently recording this at three in the morning um, because it was something that I've actually written and wanted to speak about for a while. Um, initially, I actually wanted to bring my dad on this because he's more of uh, the uh, person that would understand how this story goes and he knows word for word on describing it and explaining it but you know um i managed to sit down with him he's actually a bit shy in, in coming on to this so i'll try to do my best um but before we start thank you so much for joining me um i know i don't seem uh too cheered up or enthusiastic with this one so i do apologize for that but just to remind you it is 3 a.m and we're not trying to wake up anyone at the moment so um and if someone does come in you will hear it and if I do get belted, that's probably the first time that would happen on a podcast. So why not? Um, I figured we'll just go through out of it. For those of you, if you are the first to come onto this podcast, uh, this is called The Relatable Source. The Relatable Source is um, hint of podcasts that talk about random topics. Now, these random topics, I always like to think of them as... Um, when you're sitting down uh, with your friends and just the topic of mind comes to comes to your head and you guys all start to talk about it and all these opinions start sharing and, and you're just wondering how the hell did we not come up with a book on these opinions or suggestions and how the hell are we not, you know, that we don't even have TV shows or whatever. But essentially that's where I wanted to get on with this. Um, just share our ideas and, and, and topics um, that if they're an interest of you or if you're, you know, like hating it, but you still have an opinion or suggestion, um, great. That's initially what I was going for. But uh, the main idea, look, you don't have to pay a cent 
for this i do ask for this one thing though um, if you have a friend or a colleague or a group of people that you can relate to um, in terms of the topics that we speak about tell them about this podcast hook a brother up plug me into their brain you know because that would really help me out my initial thought is i'm not trying to inspire or motivate or whatever this is just all uh, a hint of thought that always comes to mind um it comes to me and i tend to just talk about it and uh, over time you will start to get some guests that you may know or may not know but at the time you're stuck with this voice so i do hope that you enjoy this um, podcast and initially i was hoping to speak about something that was it sort of really hit me in the feels because it's something i always think about when things just don't happen to go to plan um, it can be professionally it can be physically mentally spiritually um whatever whatever that goes to mind um, it just doesn't seem to be going to plan i always seem to think about this this one time of how myself my brothers my mom and dad how all of us as a family made it to this country now when i say this country and you're listening from another country i'm speaking about australia the land down under the country that can literally kill you with every animal that is happening although that is that's something that internationals like to say honestly like it's mainly in the outback you have we, we have every deadly venomous spider snake insect crocodile anything that you can think of that can kill you but i'm here in western sydney um which essentially is filled with multiculturalism um which i love and it's one of the reasons why i really do love this country it's there's a heaps of opportunity um heaps of community and it just there, there is a welcome aspect that happens with this country and i'm pretty sure a lot of people will agree with me on that but initially the podcast for today is when things don't go to plan now you guys have to understand and i think those that have gone through similar instances this change in lifestyle was made out of pure necessity when i say lifestyle i mean my my parents myself my brothers it was not something that we had a choice or an option me personally i actually didn't even know this i was a kid at that time when i say kid i, I was probably like f four years old when every time i'm thinking about things that don't go to plan whether it be at work uh, a promotion that didn't go my way or, or a report that i thought i had i had a I had worked really hard but i didn't end up getting the marks that i really wanted i or like friendships in, in in general life just happens to be not going to plan and something always comes up and, and this one particular story real story by the way true story always comes to mind um and those that have been immigrants or refugees that came to different countries and started a new life can really relate to this and if you can uh please do leave a review on on this um on this podcast or wherever you're listening to um or you know if you're really listening to this um and look you, you can relate a little bit a little bit i would really do appreciate it five stars means i get bread it started with my family living in the in a predominantly rich muslim neighborhood in iraq um my background is chaldean Chaldean Assyrian or Assyrian however you want to say it but let me rephrase that I did not say Syrian I said a Syrian um, if I wanted to go to a history lesson that's probably in a different podcast but 
do your research if you have time go through it search what that is um and yeah we have a rich rich history um going to biblical days but yeah we lived in a predominantly rich muslim neighborhood in iraq and when i say rich i don't mean mansions or pools but more farming animals and freedom of living my dad was struggling to find work at some stage where he had a business selling pistachio seeds nuts the whole shebang it's one of the trades that was really really popular and really thriving in iraq or the middle east as a whole we just loved that that aspect of you know um chilling in someone's house drinking tea um having some seeds on the side especially on a night um where the, the moon is out and um the stars are out as well it's it's very relaxing it's very calming and it, it makes it um very welcoming with each other um, but that was that was the sort of culture that was around there and my dad found a business venture where he would open his store and sell these particular products more of these uh, uh, there was the a popular trade in the middle east um, and also trades like shoe shining rugs and carpets for sale that that was the middle east back then and when i say back then this was we're looking at 1995 up until the early 2000s um, and it was kind of hard for him to bounce into the business world, but he managed and it went well for us. We had land, we had animals, ducks, chickens, chicks. Our neighbors had the same thing and everyone seemed to live peacefully. But then but then when, when the war was just rumored to start, um, my dad started panicking. The only concern was his only concern was our safety and since we were kids back then he didn't want the news to affect us so as far as me knowing exactly what was happening between the united states and iraq was zilch the invasion was or the war that was meant to be started was between the united states and iraq because look a lot of tensions that's been happening between the middle east and everyone else is essentially that particular timeline everything started with that the whole thing that's happening in today's society is because of that but that's besides the point anyways so my dad went from living comfortably to considering to leave everything behind and move elsewhere but at first he wanted to move state his idea was not to move and stay there he wanted to move come back and continue where he was where he's where he was basically so somewhere where it was quiet but then that wasn't the case considering the united states were going to invade iraq as a whole and he did not want to risk it so he wanted to move states as my dad was very patriotic back then i mean you can imagine living your whole life in an indoctrinated country brainwashed to live a certain lifestyle and constantly seeing the national anthem every day at school and even i remember all this because there's actual footage of this in my dad and mom's wedding video there was actual paintings and photos hanged on the venue of the wedding reception of saddam hussein who for those that don't know and you've been living under a rock or you're probably really young um was the sole reason or played an important part in the way the middle east is at this current time saddam hussein was the president back then of iraq a massive dictator massive dickhead as well if i may add um i would remember seeing his photo 
on every class at my school. And I would imagine my dad experienced that as well, plus more, seeing as he was drafted into the war between Iran and Iraq. His lifestyle was, he actually was um, in a band and his instrument was, we call it the dumbuk. The dumbuk is, um, I don't know if you've been to Middle Eastern weddings, the, the drums, the drums that you see in bands, that was his, that, that was his part you know in the band and with you know uh uh being with the band and, and going to different venues and playing and as well as training in the army and going to school at the same time this he was a literal soldier as all this tension was rising from iraq and the united states my dad called up his friend who did deliveries to syria as a profession now i can't remember what those deliveries were but let's just imagine it was fridges you know, he did he did deliveries for uh, refrigerators and so forth. Um, with his van, he would move them from Iraq to Syria. And my dad had the idea of having his friend take us in his van as a troop. But in reality, it would be to leave everything behind and go to Syria to live. And then return after everything cooled down. He had big plans on going to university um, and studying accounting and building up business ventures as he wanted to make sure his kids, myself and my two brothers, had better opportunities than he did. While that was the plan, in the back of his head, he knew that there was a possibility that we may never return. And since we were going to Syria illegally, the mission was to get immigration to accept us at either America or Australia. The reason why those two countries is because we had an extended family at both of those countries so we were set up with in terms of um being you know uh, having roofs under our head and, and being secured and so forth for the time just in case we get up we get back on track the the trip the trip from iraq to syria and i remember this it was in a van and it was long and tiring but in my mind we thought well, i thought i thought this was a business trip um at least that's that's also what my brother saw as well. And without him telling me, I thought we were going to a new house with a pool and large fields. And, and since I knew it snowed in Syria, I was keen as a jelly bean to have white Christmas, to finally have white Christmas. I've been watching movies <laughs> or cartoons in, in that particular at that time of, uh, I think it was Mickey Mouse or, or Duck and Donald and all that. And uh, it was a ghost of Christmas past, actually. It was so cozy because it was snowing and everyone's outside. They're wearing their scarves and, and their hoodies and their beanies. And, and the fire pit was out. And it was just it was just relaxing. And I can just, you know, if, the, if, if it was today's days, I'll be pumping Michael Bublé's Christmas album. But that's besides the point. Now, when we got there, a nice Syrian family who were, who were friends with my dad, um, they... Sorry, no, let me rephrase that. No, they were friends with my dad's friend that brought us in his van. I could not... See, I don't remember this guy, but this guy literally saved our life. He saved our, our, my whole entire family's life, and he gave us the opportunity that we have right now. Um, this family of uh, that were friends with, with this guy, they took us in, they fed us, made us use their facilities, and then gave us a place to stay unfortunately that place was a bedroom of two from a family of 10. actually funny story with that it was 
So, so back then it was customary for a Middle Eastern family to have a feast when a guest arrived. When a guest arrives, and since this guy had like seven daughters, they they kept joking about setting us, the kids, myself, my two brothers, my cousins, up for marriage from the age of six. I remember we were at their house and. And everyone else was just drinking and eating and they were having fun and the topic of Shakira came to mind for some reason because at the time the debate was that if Shakira oh what what nationality was Shakira because when we found out that she was Lebanese we were losing our heads so she was Spanish and, and apparently she has some Lebanese in her anyways while we were there me my two brothers and cousins were were we were on our best behavior since we did not want to be slapped by our mum and auntie. The guy's daughters were in their rooms for a good reason, because that's how it is in the Middle Eastern um, culture. It's, you know, everyone else sits it sits around and everyone chills. But at the same time, if you know, females didn't really have that much power, let's be honest. But they were young and they had to stay in their room until they were called out. But we didn't yeah at this, the, the main idea was we wanted to be on our best behavior we didn't want to get slapped by my mom and and auntie and the guys daughters since they were in their room and they, they were called up to come out and say hi now i heard i heard that you know you have to kiss on both cheeks twice for everyone you meet and that's essentially what i did when i met the 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 mom um the mom's sister who happened to be there there was like 17 different people and none of them were kids um, and when they called out to come and say hi, my initial thought is, okay, I'm going to have to kiss them on the cheek. I'm going to have to literally have my first kiss as a six-year-old to kiss someone about my, the same age as me on the cheek. And, you know, that's, to a six-year-old, that's like having your first kiss in general. I'm turning red. I am, in my mind, I'm going back and forth and how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to, you know, survive all this uh, and not be mortified or embarrassed and and I, I had to soldier on I, had, I cannot show any fear in front of my dad or my mom or my auntie especially my brothers and cousins and I know for a fact they were thinking the same thing even if they tell you nah you know we were we were ladies men since the age since we were born we could take care of our ladies that's a, that's that's fucked that's, that's a lie I, I know for a fact even my little brother he was scared to death he was like hiding behind a pillow at some stage so the guilt um that they joked about setting me up with for marriage came uh, because remember everyone from the start those seven daughters were all linked up with one of us again not my thing but you know when they said it i'm like oh in my head i'm like please be pretty please be pretty and then to be fair <laughs> she was pretty cute look at the time like we, we still keep in touch um with the family and and um i think she's married by now like, I think they're still in syria um but they're, they're i think they're in the safe part of syria on when there's not that much um uh havoc having me but besides the point yeah i was six she was six i think she was four at that time or five i'm not too sure but but yeah, the, the girl that they joke, joked about setting me up with for marriage came and I think she was just as nervous as me because when she came closer to say hi, she trips. She trips on the Persian rug that was on the floor and when she tripped, she fell on my lap and I was red as a tomato. 
I could not believe this happened. I wasn't embarrassed for her. I don't know why I was embarrassed because a girl just fell on my lap. That was the most action I got when, <laughs> back back when I was a six-year-old, you know. So the embarrassment from her and my end was too much. So we, <laughs> we both ran somewhere around the house and pretty much everyone started laughing after this. Good thing I ran, though. I, I managed to find their uh, pet turtles, which was the best thing ever, and I was just chilling with them. So not a bad night, if you ask me, you know. Fleeing from the war... Having my first kiss on the cheek. I actually managed to kiss on the cheek. And then seeing some turtles. Um, anyway, so the family was nice enough to offer us a place to stay. The, the, fortunate, the unfortunate thing that it was a two-bedroom war-torn apartment that had to be shared between 10 people. It was my, my dad, my mom, my two brothers, my cousins, which were three of them, and my uncle and auntie. Look, it sound it sounds bad, but this by the end of the day, you got to look at it from a kid's point of view. It was a dream for me because I was hanging out with my brothers, my family, and my cousins closely, and it was just comforting, which I've been wanting since forever. Where I was looking at the brighter side, my dad was scared to death. He was doing so much to care for his family and everyone else, days and night. My dad would go to a place where he would learn as much English as possible, as or as they can provide, which at the time was very little. And because he would need to know how to finish up the forms to send over to immigration for them to accept and grant us entry in their country, he needed to learn English. So imagine this guy. His main motivation when everything is going bad for him is wanting to learn English in a predominantly Arabic country, which at the time, or probably still does, hated anything that was associated with English. American English, British English, even Canadian English, you know, a place that everyone should love, but we, let's be honest, the Middle East just hated, you know, English in general, and for my dad to be sneaking around to go to this place that was very private to learn English for the sake of filling out some documentation to be accepted into a country for a new life and new opportunity that was that was pretty much the most motivation a man can get to save his family and save the life of everyone else um nine months went by for us basically learning the life of a syrian and i gotta admit it was it was the community vibe that really that, that i really did love about syria the place just had a certain beauty to it um that would make you feel at home it would make you feel welcome protected regardless of what what's going on in the Middle East. Nine months again went by and we finally got the grant. My dad, as soon as, as soon as you know, the, the, the letter came through to our apartment saying that we got accepted, the first thing that I remember was my dad crying and giving blood, sweat and tears. Me personally, I looked at him, I didn't realize why he was crying. But when he told me about everything that he had to go through and my mom keeping it, keeping it a secret because the main idea is they don't want to, they, they did not want to have or put any fear in, in, our, in our minds with everything that was going on. So the main idea was to keep us safe, um, help us live a life and, and adopt this new Syrian lifestyle. And, you know, because there was a possibility that we may stay here 
for the rest of our lives and, and it was essential for the kids to you know for us to start adapting to it making some friends and so forth so you know he get he was crying and um he held it in his hands which means that it was time to leave australia decided to give my dad and us an opportunity for a new life a new start now even on our way to australia it was it was pretty much hell for my dad and especially for my mom considering my dad had high blood pressure and and diabetes now when a person has diabetes they they tend to it sort of attacks now they end up getting low sugar levels they they almost seem and look drunk picture some drunk guy barely being able to speak walk walk or even walk properly and laugh uncontrollably slow at whatever you tell them they gain memory loss and often forget where you where they are and what they're what they're doing so when the stop from Syria to Dubai happened, we ended up getting to the airport and I remember it was a beautiful airport, beautiful, beautiful airport, but we had some discrimination happening against us. I'm not too sure why. But that discrimination was no one wanted to help us out. My dad, I think at the time, did not end up booking a hotel for us to stay because on the flight, it happened to show that we will only be staying in Dubai for about an hour and then we'll be heading out going to Australia um, so we were in the airport and we found out that there's a 12 hour gap that 12 hours means one we have no place to stay two my dad is low on sugar three we don't we can't speak the language because at the time the people that were working at the airport were English speaking and pretty much no luck was on our, was on our side. Even though that opportunity was coming to it from our end, we still had no opportunity to get out of this alive. My I, and mind you, I was scared. This is this is when I first started to realize that shit was hitting the fan. My dad was collapsing. He actually collapsed. This was the first time I seen my dad collapse. He fell on the floor, and I I I was on the verge of tears. We we're all on the verge of tears. No one. No, everyone came on board, but they did not understand what we needed until some doctor. Oh my! I remember this very, very clearly. Some doctor that was there happened to understand my dad's condition, and he, he, he ended up telling the um, uh, I forgot what they called, just people that work at the airport to bring out some insulin that would help him out with his diabetes because he's low on sugar and he needs sugary diets he needs food he needs food to get in him but we, like, we, we had no money on us we fled we left everything behind we wanted no traces to link us back when we came to dubai we actually my dad had the idea of changing our last names but keeping his name his last name to us and i never really understood why but the reason was so that iraq well the iraqi army would never find us the main idea is, imagine having the same last name as your father, and you did not go to war. You did not end up going to the army after hitting year 7, or grade 7, wherever you're listening to from. So, he changed our last name to keep us safe. Now, that doctor, when he told them to get the insulin, um, he managed to help him out. He, he stayed with us the whole time, and afterwards, the people, they finally understood what we wanted. So, they kept us in a room. They gave us a hotel. They gave us free, um, free drinks, water, and so forth to to um, get by. And 
it was it was sort of like an like our, our savior our, sorry our angel just came by our guardian angel out of nowhere appeared and helped us out my when my mom explained this she said that at the time uh she wasn't educated on all this on all the disease that she is now from from what my dad has and we were just little kids my little brother was crying i was worried and my older brother was trying to calm us down um it was just because it was only my family they got granted permission to enter Australia by immigration. My cousins and uncle and auntie had to stay back and wait their turn to be accepted. So it was just us. We had no help whatsoever. We understood nothing, but they helped us out and, and we managed to get a place to stay until we had to wait for the next flight. Now, after that, after those 12 hours, after those uh, uh, let me say that right, agonizing 12 hours, we it just finally ended up landing. Now, out of all this that happened and everything that happened at the airport, I'm forever grateful because regardless if I was in the hotel room sleeping, uh, my mom described it as a near-death experience for my dad. Again, a six-year-old trying to understand what diabetes meant, what insulin is. I barely even knew what a professional of a doctor was. All I knew is like, fair enough, they helped us out, but I had no idea. Look, they never told me anything. That's the thing. <laughs> I just realized this. Out of all this, out of, out of the story that you heard, they did not tell me nothing. They just wanted to keep me living a normal life as a kid, regardless of what we went through. I actually thought that this was a normal life. And when I told this to my friends, it was, it was something that I always get shock responses, but I'm not the only one that has gone through this. A lot of Middle Eastern kids have gone through this particular predicament, and honestly, it's sad. It's sad that we had to leave our place, but we had other opportunities waiting for us. Now, throughout all that, out of all this story from us going to Syria illegally, to coming to going to Dubai, and my dad nearly losing his life, and coming to Australia, my dad told me that when all hell came down on him and his family, his motivation to get back on track and keep going was our safety. The honest simplicity and devastating complexity of those words spoke to me deeply when I first heard them. The man almost died, almost was gone, and all he can think of was about our safety. Nothing seemed to be going to plan for him, and where where, where, when it did, it did a 360, and it was back to the drawing board. It made me think deeply about certain things. We all have plans and dreams to our futures that we cherish and nurture. We often hold these plans close to our hearts, and an interior blueprint where, where we can refer back to and attempt to build our lives according to. Some of us are stubborn in our pursuit of our hopes and desires. We all have things we desperately we desperately hope for things that keep us awake at night in my case 3 a.m but that's not you know things we break out break our hearts over and we will fight with everything we've got after experiencing all those events and finally understanding the full picture years after it happened i eventually learned that we don't always get our way nothing goes to plan and if it does go to plan things might end up coming up what we want is not always handed to us regardless of how hard we fight for it and how much we want it however sometimes it is sometimes we are given just what we ask for and what we have it planned but what if those things those things we accept and make room for our lives because they fit with our master plan for living suddenly pre present us with an unexpected an unexpected challenge 
what if they wreak havoc rather than bringing fulfillment what if the things we choose willingly lead us to other things harder things things that fuck up our spirits break our hearts things we we wouldn't have chosen to face it is then that this that this deceptively simple question arises when we are shaken to the core of our being by circumstances we can't control or did not expect could never have imagined what will we do will we find what we claim to be or what we claim to believe really means very little when put to the test my old man had bigger plans for his education and business but that all changed in an instant I always use the story as an example and, and, and the same question goes through my head. If if faced with a similar situation, will I leave? Well, what would I do? Would I have done the same thing as my dad? The answer will be found how easily I can let go of my plans and expectations. Will I fight being offered a new path, a new plan? Or will, or will I allow myself the gift of not knowing where I'm going next? The gift of possibility, do I stubbornly cling to my ideas of what should be or do I live in the essence of what actually is. Crazy though certain decisions could have been death or a new opportunity. Yours might not be as extreme but whenever I use the example on a job I didn't get, a heartbreak, just life situations not working right, I, it, metaphorically, it, it metaphorically slaps me in the face and gets me back on track. Now, from all those, uh, from this story that you have listened to i hope that you may have gained from this thanks for listening on whatever on wherever you're at trust me when i say writing up this particular podcast was it was a motherfucker it's crazy how i've known about this story nearly my whole life but when i write it up and start thinking about it shit got emotional i'm i'm, I'm being completely honest when i thought when i think about nearly losing my dad to something of like his health not being able to be controlled or us not understanding English and, and, and coming to an English-speaking country. And even, you know what, Dubai is in the Middle East. Dubai is a predominantly Arabic country, and I think it is actually. But everyone around us spoke English. What are the odds? If you're wondering what I look like, you can follow me on Instagram at buzz 95 or help a brother out and support the official page on Instagram at The Relatable Source. I hope you did enjoy this podcast. 